0: Hello there, and welcome to IndieWire's Very Good Television Podcast. I'm Liz Shannon Miller at Lizlet on the Twitter.
1: And I'm Ben T. Travers at Ben T. Travers on the Twitter.
0: And happy Emmys afternoon, uh, after, rather, happy post Emmys day. We're recording this a little later than we meant to, thanks, Skype. But yeah. uh, finally, we were here talking about the Emmys, which happened last night and were watched by. So many people, apparently. Oh,
1: god, nobody watched, nobody watched the Emmys. If you're listening to this and you watch the Emmys, you are among the few.
0: The few 10 million. Let's put that in perspective, please.
1: Yeah, less people than watch, I don't know, uh, half the audience of The Walking Dead.
0: Really? Walking Dead is 20 million?
1: Uh, it's been pushing that.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, and the whole thing, of course, is that, you know, this year, the Emmys were rather sparse in terms of shows that were blockbuster hits like The Walking Dead isn't nominated other shows that people actually really watch en masse weren't nominated Big Bang Theory wasn't even in the best comedy series running
1: it's always interesting to me kind of the theories that spring up based around the ratings of the Emmys because I don't feel as though it's as dependent on the movies, like the Oscars, like is uh, like who's being nominated. I mean, yeah, if there's a huge name showing up, like a Brad Pitt or some or George Clooney, then you might be more prone to tune in. But I feel it's mainly based around the competition surrounding it, as well as maybe some guaranteed ideas that are supposed to happen. Like I, I'm sure a lot of people would have liked to see John Hamm literally climb onto the stage and win his you know long overdue trophy for Mad Men. Um, as well as I'm sure a lot of people who would have loved to watch Game of Thrones actually take home the Outstanding Series Prize. But, I mean, one of those was supposed to happen, but wasn't maybe a big enough event. The other uh, wasn't really supposed to happen, and thus people probably weren't expecting it.
0: Mm -hmm. So you're saying that people didn't tune in because they, they, they wanted to see Game of Thrones win, but they figured it wouldn't happen.
1: Uh, I mean, m- partially in the back of their head, but mainly they didn't tune in because there was NFL Sunday Night Football on, as well as new shows like Masters of Sex and Fear of the Walking Dead and other, you know, actual popular shows that people were like, well, I mean, I'll figure out who won tomorrow, and they're going to have it all online anyway, so I'm going to watch this.
0: I and mean, that's a fair point. Gosh, you should have done a watch post. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh,
0: yeah, I mean, I think the thing about, and the thing too about the Emmys is I always feel like, The Golden Globes slightly undercut them because you kind of feel, it just feels like once every six months we sit down and say this is the best television of the year.
1: Yeah, and I mean the way that the television season is structured now, it doesn't really make sense for people to be talking about the best show of the year in September. I mean, it just doesn't really compute for a lot of viewers, so it's kind of a strange time. It is, you know, more of the Oscars of TV than the Golden Globes would be, but I mean, it, yeah, you're right. The the six months thing really really sets everybody back.
0: Well, let's uh, yeah, and speaking of shows that you know don't premiere in September, let's talk a little bit about the Game of Thrones Mad Men thing because I know you're you have a lot of feelings.
1: Oh, so many feelings, Liz. It was just. I was. It wasn't expected. I mean, I, I've read the tea leaves. I've talked to a lot of people. I knew that Game of Thrones was a legitimate threat. I knew a lot of people were saying that it was down to Game of Thrones and Mad Men. And considering the nostalgia factor uh, that, that always has a strong pull at these award shows and considering kind of the fact that Mad Men had dropped off the radar for the Emmys over the past few years, I really did feel like it was not a lock for outstanding drama series but easily the favorite and and it's it's lost to game of thrones really you know it caught me off guard.
0: Yeah, I mean it, it, there was something there were indications that it was going to go that way cuz as as usual like when a when writing when writing awards writing and directing awards both of those went to game of thrones correct?
1: Oh yeah, and and during the show, yeah, as soon as that writing award went to game of thrones, I switched gears i immediately began preparing for the worst because first of all how you can compare the writing of those two shows and pick game of thrones is just an absurd notion that i can't comprehend but the fact that mad men had two people up for that award well matthew Weiner twice with another writer and then you know, but the fact that they were nominated twice at all for writing and still lost is just astounding to me
0: well, they're splitting the vote in that. I think you
1: could argue they're splitting the vote, or you could argue, especially considering that Game of Thrones did so well in the end that people just this was their year. They were like, you know what, this is Game of Thrones. We're we're into it. It's you know the populist pick. We're gonna throw our weight behind it. And obviously, the voting system changed this year. No more blue ribbon committees. They had everybody voting in the final round. So, uh, so it was just a different ballgame.
0: Well, I think I think there is something to be said for the fact that. You know, Game of Thrones feels like a show that's added on to its audience over the years. Like it's a show that people get get drawn into to some extent. And where, whereas Game of Thrones, not sorry, not Game of Thrones, Mad Men has never really generated that sort of fandom. It's, yeah. it, it has its fans. I, I actually I went to the uh, series finale party in uh, downtown L.A. when on series finale night, and there were people hardcore, fa- you know, cosplaying. But that didn't mean, it's, it's not, it's very different from what Game of Thrones has generated. And that, that kind of buzz, I think, does tr- shake down even through, like, the Academy ranks. ranks.
1: Oh, absolutely. And, and one of the things that I mentioned earlier, the fact that Mad Men kind of dropped out of the Academy's favor after winning four outstanding series trophies in a row, uh, i mean that to me spoke to why it would win this year to me it was they'd you know let it slide they spread the love a little bit but this was the final season so they were going to make sure it won but the other way to look at that and what probably ended up happening was the TV academy just isn't as passionate about that show that those fans represented a lot of you know actual fans who kind of dropped off wanted to know where it was going but felt it took too long or or just you know thought it got repetitive or just you know, never really spoke to them as powerfully as it did to those of us who remained devoted until the end.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, do you feel like Mad Men was good to the last drop?
1: Absolutely, yeah. I, I, the There were arguments made, at least to me, that it was it became repetitive and that Don was going through the same circles, and that never felt like the case to me. It always felt very fresh. It always felt like he was he was searching for the same thing, but that quest was very unique and specific to the moments that he found himself in. Uh, so yeah, Mad Men to me was was a very nearly perfect television show. Hence the desire to see it win that uh, coveted and and unprecedented fifth drama series award.
0: I mean, would it, would it, what kind of record would it have set with
1: that? Uh, no other show had done it.
0: Yeah, no? I mean. It's weird to almost imagine, like, the Academy being spiteful. Like, I mean, it's not like one person's making the decision, of course. It's a whole bunch of people making the decision. So, yeah. yeah it's
1: very easy to start talking like that, too. I, I I used to do it all the time. I used to say things that were like the Emmys was this one person who just who just made a decision and, and then everyone went along with it. And, and that's clearly not the case. But especially now, like I mentioned, I mean, you know, the the voting system really did change. And if you've got you know, everyone voting instead of, you know, these very select blue ribbon panelists, uh, it's going to change kind of the outcome, at least a little bit, at least, uh, you know, slightly. And you could see how that kind of system would favor Game of Thrones, considering it is the more popular pick. So Mm -hmm. if you're letting more people vote, maybe popularity is going to win out over the, you know, the passionate few. The only, you know, setback with this kind of voting system is there's less regulation on knowing whether or not, the people voting actually saw everything they were supposed to see. Whether they watched all the episodes they were supposed to watch and made an informed decision, rather than just going with the, you know, the passionate or the, or the crowd or or whatever you know is influencing them at the time.
0: Which is interesting, in so much as that, uh, you know, I've been trying, I've been thinking about this because you know the uh, you know, one thing that that's come up a lot today in the post game analysis is that. People are pretty upset about Game of Thrones winning for what they argue is the least good season of the shows to date. And yes, least good is my good grammaring showing through.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, that's I. That's what I've heard. That seems to be the consensus pick. But I honestly can't speak to it. I mean, I, I know you're you're much more, uh, you know, you're much more educated on Game of Thrones than I am. I've seen enough, frankly. But uh, but yeah, I mean. That's that's all I heard. That's all I heard. With, and that obviously put me in a much darker place because if I'm hearing that, you know, one of my favorite shows of all time from one of the best seasons ever made lost to a show that had its worst season yet, that's not gonna sit that well with with Mad Men fans.
0: Yeah. Well, I well, what I'm trying to figure out right now, in my heart of hearts, is what is it that makes Game of Thrones so popular? Like, I mean, aside from. I mean, because I, I know why I find it interesting and why I keep watching it, but is it, is it, what, it, what is it about Game of Thrones at this point? Because it's, it's, it you know, so the, I think, you know, there's so many, I think it's perhaps the reason is that there are so many different facets to the show that you can engage with a few of them without having to be super on board with everything. Like, if you get bored by the politics but like the sword fights, you're in luck. If you like the scheming but don't care about the sex scenes, you're in luck. If you are just in it for the boobs, boy, are you in luck.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that HBO marketing machine, that that awards campaign, can really kind of pick and choose its targets. So you're right. I mean, that could really help it as well as what you just said, you know, for the general populace.
0: Yeah. I think the only – I mean, I'm not going to say whether or not – I. do think that game that Mad Men should have won over Game of Thrones but I'm not super upset about Game of Thrones winning best series in part because I still am fond of it like it's not like a bad it's not like a bad show that I hate one a show that I I enjoy watching one and it's a little bit of injustice the one thing I'm, I'm annoyed by is I love Peter Dinklage so much but Jonathan Banks should have won best supporting actor
1: Oh, yeah, and he was, I mean, that was another somewhat unpredicted upset. I mean, no one said that Peter Dinklage didn't have a shot. It seemed to be down between, you know, Banks, Dinklage, and uh, there was some outside support for Ben Mendelsohn, who frankly is also just top tier, definitely up there for me with Jonathan Banks' performance. But, uh, but yeah, I, I was surprised to see someone that the Academy really likes in Banks uh, go down for a show that they seem to really respond to from a network that has, you know, uh, done very well with these characters in the past, and and I mean, frankly, that episode that Banks submitted, I just can't imagine how you could top it.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's it. I mean, we as as we as, as we said before, you know, Better Call Saul is a good first season of television with one great, truly great for the ages scene. And one truly great for the ages episode, and that episode is the episode in question, and Jonathan Banks just destroys it.
1: Yeah, it's all about Mike Emmertrout, or I'm sorry, I'm probably mispronouncing that last Mike name. Mike Ermitrout,
0: I think. There you
1: go. Yeah, exactly. And and he, you know, he gets his backstory filled in. He has these really emotional moments, but he's also got kind of the funnier moments that really make you that make Mike endearing to the audience. And what's interesting about this race in particular, at least to me, is that Again, it speaks to what the voters saw and how they apply that to the voting process. Did they compare in their minds that, you know, Dinklage was better than Banks in the episode submitted for consideration? Were they thinking of which show they preferred and that was like a tiebreaker? Were they just kind of judging it as a season-long kind of thing? Because, I mean, Dinklage didn't get that kind of treatment. So as a prognosticator and you look at those things, you know, and you sit down the episode side by side, what these people are supposed to be judging, it makes it a pretty clear decision on which one, you know, people would fall in love with. But you just can't predict that kind of thing, especially with the Emmys. It's not like the Oscars where everyone's watching the same movie. I mean, everybody's watching a little bit different stuff and they've got a little bit different influencers going on.
0: Yeah, I have a weird theory at this point now, which is that I believe the Dinklage episode that was submitted was this episode where he, like I, I looked this up for you and he wasn't even a major part of the plot line. He just had a couple of really key scenes with another character where they're just sitting around talking about their, about life and stuff. And he delivered some, you know, they have some, it's important character work for his character. Whereas Banks basically is a leading man for an hour. In that episode, a better call Saul. So, is this like the academy being kind of strict about the whole best supporting actor versus lead actor thing?
1: I mean, it very well could be. I know some people, you know, get that kind of thing set in their mind. You see those kind of, um, uh, what do they call them? Not blind Emmy ballots, mm-hmm. like uh, anonymous Emmy ballots, oh, yeah. basically where people will talk about, you know, what motivates them and what will keep them from voting for something even if it's, you know, not an official rule or not supposed to be under consideration. And I mean, that's definitely one of it, like, you you, you want to vote for a supporting actor who's actually in a supporting role, you don't want to necessarily go outside of that, but some people would have seen all of Better Call Saul and then just known that, you know, this was a, an anomaly and that he stepped up his game for those 44 minutes. And then outside of that, he was regulated for you know maybe ten every other episode.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a weird question, but you know without without polling each and every one of the uh, members of the academy, we can't say for for sure.
1: Yeah, and that's what I mean for all award shows. It's what it what makes it fun and what makes it infuriating. You just you can't really predict what's going to happen because you just don't know how you know ten thousand people are going to be voting.
0: Yeah, so. Speak changing the subject to things that you were happy happened. Ben, why don't you talk a little bit about Beep?
1: Oh my god. I I hadn't felt such a blind rush of joy at an award show and I honestly don't even know when. The Oscars always infuriates me. And I just going into the morning of of Emmy's of Emmy's day. I just didn't have a good feeling. I just didn't think Veep was going to win. And it was obviously my favorite of the year. It's clearly the best comedy series of, of 2015, if not for every season it's been on. But uh, but I just didn't have a good feeling about it. So when they actually read the name and it was Veep, I, I, just, I was overjoyed. I was, I was at a loss for words. And uh, it was a very interesting race because as the night progressed, you could kind of tell that Modern Family had lost its luck. It just wasn't winning anything in the primetime ceremony um so you could tell that that time had kind of passed but transparent pulled off a few very key wins including jeffrey Tambor, which was you know fantastic and well deserved but jill soloway also won the directing award which could have easily gone to armando iannucci in his last season for veep uh, especially if veep was going to sweep uh, or if or if veep was just the you know hands-down favorite to win. So when they came down to announcing which one was actually going to win, it was still somewhat surprising to hear Veep's name called, and just,
0: oh, God, it was
1: so satisfying.
0: I mean, I, I uh, w- whether it went to Transparent or Veep, I think it was still, like, a really nice moment for the evening where some really interesting talent was being recognized for creating some really interesting television.
1: Oh, absolutely, yeah. It, it, it would have been a win either way to finally kind of move on from... A show that had lost its edge and and clearly wasn't the best of the bunch. Uh, I mean, don't get me wrong, and and everyone wants to kind of rewrite history on Modern Family, but when it first started, those first two, even you know three seasons, it was pretty great television. It was it changed the broadcast game, but it was also just incredibly efficient comedy, um, and and very very funny stuff, and and it had you know performances that uh, are now being a little taken for granted, but definitely deserve the attention at the time. Um, but yeah, you know, by 2015, it's just, and and with a show of the caliber of Veep, it, it really is very satisfying to see that one pull off the win, especially, I mean, if you look at the rest of the comedy series category, like we're talking very specifically about these three shows, but I mean, Louie, Silicon Valley, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, Parks and Recreation, these are great comedies. Like these are, like Louie, it's shocking, hasn't been more of a contender for the top crowd. I know last year people were predicting it to dethrone Modern Family, but, you know, it obviously didn't happen. Parks and Recreation is one where, frustratingly, you know, the Academy just never got on board with a, one of the best comedies, I'd say, of the last 10 years, if not ever. Um, and then Silicon Valley and Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt are, you know, kind of some upstarts that are hanging in there and, and could be players down the road. So, I mean, it's it was a great field.
0: Yeah, I feel like, I mean, I, I've never run the numbers on this, but in general it seems like the Academy take some time to warm up to uh, to new shows like for the most part like mad men was an immediate hit you know west wing was an immediate hit like but maybe even with comedies especially like the faces need to become a little more familiar before they end up taking home a trophy
1: yeah very well could be the case like what you just mentioned there's definitely shows that you know spark as as soon as they hit it's just an Academy favorite, and you stick with it. I mean, even Modern Family, that first season, boom, winner. Like, And it just kept going from there. Um, so, I mean, it, it's definitely one of those things that can happen, and this is that kind of year. Like, we all kind of felt like Modern Family was done. It wasn't going to break the record. It definitely had a chance, but, you know, most people were predicting something else. So in a year like that, it's possible that something like Transparent, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt even, um, are ones that just hit and get that you know, award and then launch themselves on a, on a, you know, five, six year run.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it, and the thing here's, here's, I could think kind of like my bigger picture question, which is actually, okay. I have, I, I just realized I can, I have my own counterpoint to this, but is it, is it, is a nominee a nomination at this point, more valuable than a win? And I, I'll tell you what my counterpoint is to this question. As soon as you answer it, but I feel like just even getting the additional exposure of like your face on camera for five seconds, your opportunity to talk about your show, uh, you know, it's it, yeah, you don't get to go up on stage and get the big speech and talk, you know, about tell tell your mom you love them, but you still you still get recognition and valuable recognition, and it's maybe even easier to get it. Well, certainly easier to get a nomination than a win, like because. The opportunities are more limited this is i i am either saying something really interesting or something really really fucking dumb i apologize either way
1: <laughs> no, no no i i think i get what you're saying and i think the most valuable thing about getting nominated especially for these young shows is proving that they can contend. something like transparent getting nominated this year is so incredibly important for that show not because not just because it ended up winning in other categories but because it that means it's a likely contender to get nominated next year. Unless something drastically falls off, Transparent Season 2 will likely get nominated again in the comedy series, and it could compete to win. Like, it, it could build on that reputation and keep going from there. So, you know, Transparent, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, even Silicon Valley in its second year, like, those are those are big nominations for those shows, and it, it does matter. It matters quite a bit.
0: Yeah. I mean, it, the thing I was going to... The, my counterpoint to it was when all of Kittredge came dangerously close to sweeping the limited series category. Uh, what was really, st- st- what st- stood out to me about that is watching the Twitter traffic and so forth. People were like, what is this thing we've never heard of? Um, oh,
1: sure. Cause yeah.
0: I mean, all of Kittredge kind of had a, it's like, I think it was like late October premiere last, last fall. Um, tiny, t- a sweet little small, sweet little small, intimate mini series about, you know, a woman, a woman's kind of caustic woman dealing with depression. And, you know, it's not the sort of thing that it, there are no dragons in it, as, as, as people like to say.
1: Though there is an apple that is peeled and turns into a snake. So that's kind of cool. Uh, But no, you're right. And I would say that in that limited series category, just like the TV movie category, which got shifted over to the creative arts Emmys slash, you know, off the air, Uh, most of these shows people don't know. There's no way most of the people tuning in knew Wolf Hall or uh, The Honorable Woman or Olive Kittredge. And even American Crime got such poor ratings that a lot of people were probably like, oh, yeah, that show, I remember seeing ads for that on ABC or whatever network it was, but I don't really remember what it's about. The only one that's got a lot of name recognition is American Horror Story, and that's in part because it's just a perennial Emmys contender. So, so, yeah, I mean, that's definitely one of those shows where you could you knew there was a lot of love for it within the industry and francis mcdorman had a lot of respect coming her way especially after the golden globes didn't pan out quite like they'd hoped um, but uh, but yeah i mean hbo was right behind it giving it a big push and and obviously with their you know just pile of emmys wins this year they again flexed their muscle in the awards category which is incredibly important to them mm. uh, but they definitely got all of Kittridge over the hump
0: yeah, I mean, and I think I, it was Kittridge. I think that played a big factor, and then tech it's like between Kittridge and Game of Thrones, they that was what led to them having like the. I think they 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 topped the charts in terms of uh, most most trophies received.
1: Yeah, they uh, they absolutely did. I think it's their, I think it's their fourteenth year in a row or something like that for winning. I mean, pretty much essentially since they got into the game, they've had the most. Emmys wins of any network out there. Game of Thrones was became the most uh, awarded, the most awarded series for one season of content, or however you want to say that. Mm-hmm. Um, and in part, that's definitely due to the creative arts side of things, with its you know boatload of technical awards. But I mean, there's nothing to to look down your nose at. Um, but I mean, I guess what's in, what's pretty impressive to me with HBO in general. Like, I mean, yeah, that Game of Thrones win is huge. But even their their smaller moments, like the fact that Tony Hale prevailed over Titus Burgess for uh, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt was a bit of a surprise. He's very well-liked within the TV industry. He's a wonderful person, and he gives a tremendous performance. But Burgess felt like one of those breakthrough actors where people just knew him, loved him, and loved that performance, and it could have just bolted onto the scene in season one and stolen it. And the same goes for Julia Louis-Dreyfus. I mean... You look at her track record, and you could just chalk it up and say, "Oh yeah, sure, Julie Louis-Dreyfus winning her sixth Emmy—you know, big deal. It's like that can't be that hard of a sell by now." But I mean, honestly, I'd say it gets harder as you go. Like, I mean, after you give somebody so many awards, there's got to be a tipping point. And when you've got somebody like Amy Poehler sitting there, you know, a a multiple nominee for Parks and Recreation, a show that's got a ton of fan support, a ton of love out there. Um, and, and kind of similar to the Friday night light syndrome in which, you know, it didn't get a lot of of Emmys attention, but then, you know, Kyle Chandler and, 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 you know, it gets some wins for its last season. People thought that could happen for parks, but nope, Julia Louis-Dreyfus wins again. I mean, HBO has got some power back there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I feel so bad for Amy Poehler. It's just uh, someone who's so consistently funny about awards deserves an award at this point.
1: <laughs> yeah I really and uh, I mean who knows what's to come for her I, I don't I'm not gonna pretend to know that you know what shows are coming down the line that will be as iconic as Leslie Nope but man it, it does it feels weird for her not to have a trophy for that character which seems so personally important to her and such a, a, a game changer for for her identity and for for her career. Mm-hmm. And such a passion project all around, like, I mean, it, it, it it's a shame.
0: Well, and it was, I think what's really inspiring almost about Parks and Recreation, too, is the fact that it wasn't an easy victory. It was, it, it, they did not, like, just stumble cr- upon comedy brilliance. That first season, that they struggled to create a great show. And you can see that struggle, unfortunately, on screen with them trying to figure out what this character supposed to be. Um, and not really succeeding until season 2. But then you get to the end of season 2 and everything is everything is really working and then they continue to make that happen for another 5 years.
1: And that could very well be all it took to get kicked out of Emmy's favor. I mean, if the if they tried to run that stuff by, you know, Emmy's voters in the first season, they took a look at it was like this isn't this isn't good enough. They may not have even given season two, three, four, five, six, a second look. They may have just said, okay, yeah, I get that some people may like this, but I'm not, I mean, it's not my cup of tea, so I'm not going to waste my time. And that's, I hope that's not what happened. It would be a terrible practice to employ as somebody with that kind of responsibility, but it's hard to imagine a lot of scenarios in which that many people would watch Parks and Recreation and not vote for it. Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, at least why would they nominate it and then not vote for it? I don't know.
1: Yeah, it's it's a bit frustrating. But I mean, there was, a, there was a number of other surprises. There was a number of other kind of, you know, exciting things that happened at this year's Emmys, even though I, I didn't feel like it was as crazy as last year. Last year really caught me off guard in, in a number of different ways. Even with, you know, Modern Family winning again. Um, it was a pretty surprising year. But one of the more interesting points to me, at least in the terms of kind of public opinion, Amazon won more primetime Emmys than Netflix this year, which is kind of shocking.
0: It, it, it taught them in wins. Did it beat them in nominations?
1: I don't, no, no, no. I don't think it came close in nominations. I think they had a lot more out there for, for, for noms. But if you're looking at what Netflix is trying to do, which is to become the next HBO slash be better than HBO, to see them, one, you know, not only that far behind... Their you know idol or their you know what they're trying to become uh, in wins, but to see them behind another upstart who's trying to compete with them and was widely regarded as their kind of little brother in this arena. I mean, it, it's it may be a fluke. It may just. I mean, it's all transparent, but still, that's that's you know something that Netflix quite hasn't been able to get over the hump. Though I mean. You know, all credit to Uzo Aduba for for stealing that supporting actress trophy in a drama series, especially after the category change or the genre change.
0: Yeah, way to go, New Ed Asner. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, I think the the something important for me about that is the fact that it's it, it, this is this is commentary that's coming up a lot more in terms of discussing the fact that Netflix has a famously hands off policy when it comes to developing content. They're not completely hands-off but they ju- they put a lot of faith and trust in their creators and sometimes that means you get some really stellar work out of said creator and sometimes it means you hit house of cards season three and things kind of go off the rails a little bit which is i think and you know i think everyone is pretty on board with the idea that house of cards season three is the worst season of house of cards to date and it'll be interesting to see if season four takes any you know course correction from that
1: and yet, I mean, for me, if I was a Netflix exec, I'd still probably be fuming over the the category change for Orange is the New Black. Because if Orange is the New Black would have been competing in comedy this year, I think it would have been a strong contender for the win. I think it easily could have been up there with Veep, maybe even taking the title probably would have been ahead of Transparent. I just, I mean, for them, I think that was the one that has the most potential and then as soon as it got shifted into the drama category it took a huge step back even though adubo i mean that's that's a great win but that's still a supporting actress win instead of a series win and now i have to imagine they're putting out a call like they're they're, they've got to have that on their radar right now we need a series that can compete and win at the emmys
0: yeah i mean but which is actually kind of interesting because it's, it, it works against what they've actually been doing in recent months, which is kind of trying to diversify their content beyond the prestige game and build in, bring in shows like, say, Fuller House, which I will wager, I, I would definitely wager a sandwich that Fuller House will not have more than one nomination at next year's Emmys.
1: <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not taking that bad.
0: All right. All right. <laughs> I, I I will go sandwich lists
1: on that one. But no, and you're and you're right. Like it's definitely it's it's taken a very conscious shift towards uh you know really drawing in as many as as many subscribers as it can, building up that base. But you know since they've got all that they've got enough money, they're 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 definitely going after the Oscar with movies like Beast of No Nation and all their documentaries that they've been acquiring. So I I mean I have to imagine that they're trying to do the same thing with TV at least with one or two shows.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, the Emmys. I mean, I think the thing that's really fun about the Emmys is the fact that it brings us together. It it brings all the television together in in some form or another and lets us kind of look at it in a broader sense. And I think that perspective does add value, whether you're talking about what got shafted versus what got triumphed. Yeah,
1: I mean, I'll take any excuse that I can to talk about The Leftovers and why it's the greatest show on TV, even if it's, you know, me saying, God, how did The Leftovers not get nominated at the Emmys, even though we're talking about who won at the Emmys?
0: 32 minutes, people. 32 minutes. If you had 32 minutes on your bingo card, uh, to chalk it off there.
1: I was starting to get the shakes, so I had to say something.
0: I know. I know, Ben. It's okay. We're going to get through this together. Uh, to wrap things up,
1: though, uh, what was your, what was your favorite moment from last night? Oh, I fa- it's hard not to pick Viola Davis' speech because, oh,
0: yeah.
1: as cynical as I can be sometimes about actors at award shows accepting trophies, especially when you've got a great actor, you know they can put on a show at you know the drop of a hat. I mean, that one was very moving. Personally, you know, I it, I can't. I can't. You love that anything. show
0: so much. You love How yeah. to with Murder so much.
1: Yes, I would. I would definitely encourage everyone to watch all of that show, especially now that it's on Netflix. But uh, no, I, I mean John Ham's win can't be topped for me. But but if anything was going to come close, it's definitely Viola Davis.
0: Yeah.
1: What about you, Liz? What was your favorite moment? And you love this show. You your review is glowing.
0: I had a really fun time. I thought it, it just like on, like when I do these show reviews, I'm just basically saying. Was this uh, entertaining out of three hours of television to watch? And I would say yes. I think there were a lot of fun surprises, a lot of fun comedy tr- comedy beats that you know liven things up without distracting from while while why we were all there. Um, I, I and I'm gonna just say. Nothing in terms of sheer randomness can beat for me uh, Tatiana Maslani and Tony Hale fighting over a can of beans. <laughs> I've been thinking about it all day. It's just so delightful. It, and it's just, why? Why is this happening? I don't care. It's perfect. It's a perfect moment. There's a nice lady and wearing a very nice dress and she's fighting with Tony Hale in a tuxedo over a can of beans.
1: They definitely proved why they deserved their nomination and win, respectively, by committing so hard to that bit. So, at the very least, you got to respect the actors.
0: Yes, they remained committed to the bit. The highest praise I can give anyone. <laughs> uh, so, to really wrap things up, though, Ben, what was the la- best thing you watched last week?
1: Uh, well, I've been I've been catching up with a lot of different TV shows uh, in anticipation of the fall season kicking off this week. Um, But I will say that the best thing I've watched is honestly Bob's Burgers. (laughs) Bob's Burgers season six, God, I think, is getting ready to premiere on Sunday. Um, And it's one of those shows that it also has a huge fan base. And It's definitely gotten a little bit of Emmy's attention, so it's done fine, but it's never kind of broken out as a comedy or even an animated comedy, and, and God, God love it. It's one of the best comedies on TV. I, I love Bob's Burgers. I could watch it on a loop for, for ages.
0: Aww. So you, have you seen the season premiere then?
1: I have not. I've been building up to it because I, I kind of admire how they string their seasons together. But I can also kind of see how the structure changes from season to season just a bit, and I want to try to emphasize that by making sure I just watched. Like I'm, I've got the last season fresh in my mind.
0: Awesome.
1: But what about you, Liz? What's the best thing you saw last week?
0: Well, I also have been working my way through uh, through screeners and catching up with things, and so I got some. I got to put in some deep time with the Fox screening site, and I gotta say. I responded to grandfathered a lot more po- uh, positively than I think I was expecting. Uh, this is, of course, the J- John Stamos finds out he's a grandpa show. A lot of jokes, yes, are built around the fact that John Stamos is a grandfather. Ha <laughs> ha, hilarity! Because he's 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 he he's not ready to be a grandfather, Ben. He's so young and handsome.
1: He is. He is quite handsome.
0: Um, <laughs> I like that way you put that. Uh, but that said, I I don't know if it's trying too hard, but. There's a real level of, the, 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 there's, a, there's a real snap to the dialogue. A lot of uh, careful work has gone into creating characters with definition, even in just like short scenes. I really enjoy the fact that uh, John Stamos' brandly, dis- brandly new discovered son, uh, played by Josh Peck, I believe, yep. of uh, Drake and Josh, and uh, which is a Disney Channel show I did not watch because I am older than that demographic. But yep. uh, you know, he's a really fun performer, and most importantly, he's a really fun performer who's playing like a, a kind of weird, nerdy character in a way that feels fresh. So even like even like very secondary characters get, you know, a chance to really show some show some spark and I don't know, execution wise I, I could see it getting tiresome, but the first episode I felt really played well.
1: I couldn't agree more, and I've seen both like it just in early reviews and kind of uh you know talking with other people who've been who've been catching up on these things. I've seen a lot of kind of meh reaction to both grandfather Grandfathered and The Grinder and and most of them have been just kind of dismissing it as a one joke show and I couldn't disagree with that more. I think it's it's kind of building off of the brilliance of a lot of shows. I mean sitcoms work very well if you use something very simple to kind of engage with from the get-go and then just let it become its own thing down the line and I feel like both of those shows have the ability to do just that and, and you're right grand, grandfathered you know who knows what's going to become of it but it's off on the right foot
0: Yeah. so next thing you're looking forward to Ben
1: uh, the next thing I'm looking forward to is The Daily Show with Trevor Noah huh. like, well it will air one week from today if you're listening to this on monday uh, the 21st and it's honestly one of those things that i'm not watching it like i'm expecting a train wreck but i am watching it with a cautious eye i i i don't have a lot of optimism for trevor noah and i don't have anything against him i don't want to engage in the the argument about his old tweets and all of that nonsense but from kind of the promotions he's put out there, the appearances he's had on like Colbert and and uh, kind of a few other shows, as well as you know just just kind of the general uh, you know marketing strategy they're putting out there, it, it's not working. Like it's not very effective. It's not creating uh, a good identity for this guy or even that appealing of one. So whatever happens on that first episode is going to be very very important for what happens down the line and i'm curious to see what that'll be
0: yeah i mean i i hear you on that i feel like with 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 trevor noah this is something i i haven't really written about a ton but he's really he's really good when it comes to discussing race in america and i'm my major concern is he's not going to be able to really push beyond that but I feel like there are two really notable things to mention about the daily show when it returns. One is that it's keeping a lot of the original production staff. All of the executive producers are the same. The correspondents are the same a lot. I imagine there's a fair amount of carryover in terms of writers and production crew and whatnot. And John Stewart even basically said as much last night when accepting the award for best, uh, for best talk show. Um, and the fact is yeah, Trevor Noah has a lot to prove, but he's got a big support staff. And the other thing that I find really interesting is they're making... I think there's going to be a lot to discuss down the line when it comes to what they're doing with digital. They've brought in a couple of really uh, some talent from the digital world. Uh, most importantly, Baritun, Day Thurston. Uh, oh, hopefully I said his name right. But he's uh, he's a, he's like an o- OG uh, guy from The Onion and is also pre- a pretty, really smart guy when it comes to creating digital content, working with the digital space, and so Daily Show could be moving in a really interesting direction uh, come 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 its launch.
1: I think that's what makes it both interesting to me and and more of a challenge for the show itself because it has to make that transition from being, mm-hmm. you know, the the. John Stewart. I mean, he was the wise, trustworthy news source that you've had in your back pocket for, you know, 15 years. I mean, for for a long period of time. And now they have to shift the tone somehow because that's not who Trevor no- Trevor Noah is that he can't be. He's too young. He he I mean, no matter what he does on the show, he just can't be that kind of authoritative figure off the bat. So they're going to have to come up with some really clever ways to establish an identity for him and a new identity for the show without losing the respect that's been built up from everything that's been that has that's happened before
0: yeah sure uh but enough. what
1: but what about you liz what's the next thing you're looking forward to
0: next thing i'm looking forward to chronologically i have to confess is probably heroes reborn uh <laughs> and i don't i don't know necessarily if i think it's going to be great I just know I want to watch it and figure that out because I really enjoyed most of the first season. Uh, I think I it kind of went in and out in terms of quality for me. Definitely, I'm definitely one of the people who dropped off in season two. Never really came back, and I'm really interested to see how that how that works for me as a viewer and how they deal with it as a show.
1: Yeah, I'm I. I... It's one of those shows that, for me, is pretty low on the radar because it seems like they're just, you know, starting it back up again rather than delivering a fresh new take. But, I mean, we'll see what happens.
0: Yeah, I mean, it seems like they're going to take some big chances right off from the beginning. And that's always been, you know, when the show, the show was at its best when it was structured around specific events and had a very clean timeline. And that seems, it, this this the strategy seems aimed to play at all that. But we'll see.
1: I'm really quickly I'm most interested in the ratings for that show just because of how hard they dropped off you know and it eventually got cancelled and then to reboot it without like an ex like an external drawing force for new people to to reengage I just i I don't really get the strategy of it, but I'm very curious to see how it plays out
0: yep yeah, and with that, I think that that's about all we got for you this week uh as as always, you can go to indiewire.com, where we have written features and interviews and reviews and so many other things for you to read and watch and ex- enjoy. And
1: oh, that was a lead-in. God, yes. I just, sorry, uh, it's okay. Sorry. It's okay. We're so unprofessional, or at least I'm very unprofessional. But nah, it's all right. Uh, I, did, so, I,
0: think, I think I usually use a different trigger word.
1: No, no, no. Do it again. Just just say that. Give me the give me the and, and then I'll, I'll try to I'll try to launch right in. And. And you can listen to all of the other IndieWire podcasts, including Screen Talk with Eric Cohen and Ann Thompson, as well as the IndieWire Influencers podcast with our own editor-in-chief, Dana Harris. Uh, Both of those are available via iTunes and on the site. You've probably checked a few times by now, I hope. So uh, make sure to give those uh, a listen.
0: Yeah, and also you you can subscribe to us on iTunes, rate us and review us on iTunes. We're Hopefully, kindly, we're very fragile flowers here. Well, That's I'm true. I'm a fragile flower. Ben Ben is strong like bull.
1: Well, um, depends on the day.
0: It depends on the day, uh, but yes, and most importantly, you can follow Ben at Ben T Travers on Twitter,
1: and you can follow Liz at Lizlet on Twitter with an I and an E.
0: That's correct. So we'll be back next week, and in the meantime, keep watching television.